We turn our attention now to God's Word from the Bible. The summer where you've been looking at the Psalms and just uh, reading and reflecting on various ones. Um, and I've chosen them mostly because in various ways they've made an impact somehow on my life. Uh, the Psalm we're looking at today is Psalm 46. And for as long as I can remember, I've always uh, found comfort and strength in this Psalm. So you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles, uh, or you can simply listen to me uh, recite the psalm uh, today. Hear God's word. God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the desolations that he has brought upon the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, shelter is such a basic human need. To be without refuge, shelter, it's a terrible situation to endure. Sometimes I found bits and pieces of garbage under my porch in Victoria, the remnants of a homeless man or woman seeking shelter after a hard day in the rain. Shelter, we, we need it, and we crave the security it brings. Perhaps one of the reason that, reasons that house prices have spiked in the last year is because in times of instability, people will do whatever they can to try to secure a place of refuge. This past week, the world was shocked by the events that took place in Afghanistan. As the Taliban rolled into Kabul, thousands flocked to the airport. Some were so desperate to get out, so desperate for refuge, that they hung on to the landing gears of planes as they took off. We need shelter. We need it because the world is a dangerous place and our mortal bodies are vulnerable. The psalmist knows a thing or two about the dangers of life, but he also knows a place, a person, that God's people can reliably go to for shelter. God is our refuge and strength, he writes, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. All around us nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, but he lifts his voice and the earth melts. Two threats to human life are on the mind of the psalmist in this psalm. 
There's the threat of environmental disaster and the threat of war. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, earthquakes aren't too common in Israel, but they do occasionally happen. Same with floods. In Israel's cosmology, their, their way of thinking about and viewing the world, uh, the world was flat and it was built upon pillars that went down into the deep waters. It's understandable why they saw things this way. I mean, when you walk far enough to the east, you hit an ocean. And if you walk far enough to the west, you hit another ocean. And if you dig a hole deep enough into the ground, you hit water. So there was the waters below and the waters on the sides. And then if you looked up into the sky, there's this big dome. And every now and then the dome starts leaking. And there's waters above that come down. So they felt very surrounded by water. And what would happen if the earth were to quake off its pillars and the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea? Habitable land, from Israel's perspective, was perched in a precarious spot. One never knew when the earth would shake and the mountains would fall. That's what happened when the flood came in Genesis 6. God released the power of the sea, and the forces of chaos were unleashed. And all the inhabitants of the earth, spare Noah and his family, were killed. Our way of picturing the world is different today. But the danger of environmental chaos is still a very real threat. Just think of all that has happened within the first eight months of this year. Forest fires are still burning out west, and they have literally destroyed an entire town, the town of Linton. Linton. At the same time that that was happening, rivers were overflowing their banks in Germany, destroying villages. Earlier this summer, a tornado just went north of us and hit a neighborhood in Barrie. And as we speak, Haitians are trying to dig themselves out from, un out from under yet another earthquake. Sometimes we look at all this chaos and we wonder what's going on. Is, it, is all this God's judgment somehow? Is, it, is he trying to warn us? of our prideful ways and get us to repent? Or is this simply nature doing what nature does? Or have we humans so abused the natural world that the natural world is starting to crack? Maybe what we're living through is a flood in slow motion. It's hard to say. Perhaps it's a combination of all these things somehow. Whatever the case, it's clear that we humans are not supernatural beings. We're embedded within creation. Disease and flood and famine, they impact us and they threaten our existence. So there's the constant threat of environmental dissolution, but there's also the threat of war. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms clash. They shoot their bows and throw their spears. Ancient Israel was more or less constantly under attack. They lived between superpowers, Egypt to the south, Assyria to the north, then Babylon. And then all around them, there were the Phoenicians and the Philistines and the Moabites and those blasted Amalekites. Constant threat. You never knew when a neighboring king would want to sack your town and 
make off with your livestock. And so they built high walls around their cities and conscripted young men to join the military. Nothing disrupts life and threatens it like a war. Some of you know this from difficult first-hand experience. I sat beside an old man at a potluck once, and I noticed that he didn't stop at the barbecue to get himself a hamburger. So I asked, are you a vegetarian? Kind of, he said. And then he told me his story. He was a kid in Rotterdam during the Second World War, and his family couldn't find food. At one point, they got so desperate that they ate the remains of a dead horse. This man got so sick from that experience that he hasn't been able to stand the smell of meat since 1944. War. War rips off limbs and separates families. It shuts down supply chains. People starve. One of my seminary professors was conscripted and fought in the Vietnam War. He wouldn't tell us stories of what happened there. All he would say is that war is hell. War is hell. The absence of God. A wildfire of confusion, blood, destruction. We've had a good peaceful run over here in sleepy southern Ontario, but the reality is that our world is just a few atomic missiles away from absolute chaos. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. The realism of Psalm 46 is disturbing. Oftentimes we don't even want to think about these things. It's, it's too much to think about. But the realism is also refreshing. The psalmist doesn't sugarcoat reality. The threats are real and they are named. But neither does he leave God's people, God's fragile people, without hope. In the midst of the trouble, the psalmist surveys the damage, but he also looks above the noise and he declares the greater truth, the greater truth that God is present to his people, that he is a refuge and strength and ever-present help, that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. The psalmist's conviction is that there is something rock-solid in this fragile world, a reliable place to find shelter. It's God. The Almighty is with us, he keeps saying. The God of Jacob, he is our fortress. I like to imagine an Old Testament prophet preaching in front of a group of scared people. God is our refuge, he says to them. Do not fear. Remember the former days. Remember the exodus from Egypt. There we were, stuck between the powers of nature, a raging sea, and the powers of man, a raging army. There we were stuck, and Moses instructed us to be still, to be wait, to wait for God. And then Moses struck his, uh, put his staff out over the water, and the Lord made a way for us to cross through on dry ground. And then he smashed the spears and the bows of the enemy in the sea. That same God is here with us now. He will help his people at the break of day. Israel's corporate testimony, what they believed together about God, was that he was sovereign. Sovereign. 
the God above all gods, the powers above all powers on earth. This theme is present throughout the Bible. It's all over the place. In Psalm 2, for instance, the psalmist writes, Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The king, enthroned in heaven, he laughs. He scoffs at them. You little people, says the Lord. You think this world is yours to own and to claim, to fight over, to grab at. But your weapons, they're as nerf guns to me. In fact, I am so above you, so much more powerful you, that the desolations of your warring only serve to further my own purposes and ends. And in the end, my kingdom will be done, and my kingdom will come. God says to the nations, be still, like, a, like an owner commanding their playful puppy. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now, unless you've led a thoroughly sheltered life, you'll know that the testimony of this psalm sounds almost a little too good to be true. If it is true that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, then why does trouble still come, still hurt, and still, in some cases, bring us down? In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Tamboon shares her story of living through the war. Her family was active in the resistance and they hid Jews in their house. It's a powerful story of trust and provision. In the end, they, this family, they come to find their hiding place in God. God was indeed a refuge and strength to them and especially to all those who sought shelter in their house. But you know, eventually the Nazis got word of what was happening in the Ten Boon residence, and so they arrested the adults in the house. Casper, Corey's father, died of an illness not long after his arrest, and Betsy, Corey's sister, ever mighty in faith, died in a concentration camp. And that's just one story that we know of, of, I'm sure there are countless, of faithful people losing their lives to disease or war. And you know what? Even Jerusalem, the, the holy city, suffered defeat. In 587, she fell. The Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and took her temple down brick by brick. Clearly, to belong to the Lord is not a free pass through life or the sufferings that come in life. And yet, somehow, through it all, the Sovereign One is still working still sovereign, still working through the ups and downs of history to accomplish his plan for kingdom come. It's hard to see sometimes, but every so often it really comes into focus. We see it most clearly, of course, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone in that time wanted Jesus to be the one to restore Jerusalem to its former glory. They wanted a mighty king to secure the fortress, to push out the Romans. But Jesus did not come to shoot the bow or throw the spear. He had his father's long-term vision in mind. Like the psalmist, Jesus lifted his eyes above the noise and he put his hope squarely in his heavenly father. And in the end, he knew that the path to victory had to go through the cross. 
This was the means that God was going to use to disarm the authorities and overcome the powers and principalities that terrorize this earth. Jesus suffered the worst this world had to offer. He was crucified and he died and the Romans thought they had done away with this pesky Jesus guy. And the Pharisees said, good riddance, as they went on praying for their warrior savior. But at just this moment, when Jesus was in the grave, the one enthroned in heaven began to laugh. And on the third day at the break of dawn, he resurrected his righteous son from the dead. Jesus formed a new community, a new city, if you will, during his ministry on earth. A community of 12 at the core, but then larger as it went out from there. Make disciples of all nations, he told them. You are the holy city that I am setting up on earth, that I am building through my spirit. Don't use the sword or the spear, Jesus said. Rather, offer your lives for the sake of my kingdom and know that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's hard to imagine how a movement like this could last. I mean, the Roman Empire was a global force, huge army. Multiple times it tried to squash out the Jesus community. But the more they tried to squash Christianity and the message of the cross, the more the message about Jesus spread about the Roman Empire. And today the Roman Empire is no more. You can visit uh, the ruins in Europe and the Middle East if you'd like. But there is no Caesar on the throne in Rome. But the church, the church is still alive and well and continues to spread throughout the world. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The same pattern has repeated itself over and over again in history. The Nazis, the Nazi party is dead, but the ministry of Cory Ten Boom continues. The Chinese uh, Communist Party tries to keep the church on a leash, but slowly they are losing power as the message of the cross continues to make an impact in Asia. And the Sovereign One laughs. You know, as a pastor, I get a fairly good inside view of the church. And whenever I stop and pause and try to look at things objectively, it always seems so fragile to me. I mean, look at us, right? We're just vulnerable, sitting out here on the lawn, without shelter. Sometimes I wonder, are we going to make our budget? Are we going to find ways to encourage and equip new leaders? I wonder, are we any match against the secular wave that continues to sweep across our country? We, we appear so vulnerable, so fragile at times. But then it's important to look above, look above the noise, and to remember the truth that if God is with us, who can be against us? God will help his church at the break of dawn. He promised to be with us constantly to the very end of the age. Therefore, what do we have to be afraid about? Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though COVID continues to do its damage, though nations rise and fall, we will not fear 
The meek will inherit the earth. We belong to the resurrected one. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning I invite you to join me and the psalmist and Christ in lifting your eyes up above the dangers of this world and the noise. Hear the Lord say to you, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Indeed, this message is not just for God's people. It is all those, it's for all those who sit in the halls of power, all the masters of war. Be still, God says to the nations. Stop your childish wars. I make wars cease to the ends of the earth. I will break your bows and shatter your spears. This is the God who is our Father, in and through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is a mighty shelter amidst the storms of life. Let us find our rest in him. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we continue to rest in your presence today, reminded again about who you are. We are reminded of your faithfulness shown in the gospel, the way that you surprised the world by securing our deliverance through the death and resurrection of your Son. And here we are today, Lord, and we can say that we are people in whom Christ dwells, citizens of your unshakable kingdom. Nurture the hope in our hearts to continue to live, um, to live this message out in this time and place, not fearing about our own life, but remembering the truth that you hold the world in your hands and will one day return to make it holy and whole again. And as the troubles come, Lord, and they do come, we pray that you give us patience, help us not be afraid, give us precious moments where we can be still and remember who you are and how you hold all things in your hand. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.